Hello, and welcome to the Fearless Storyteller Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Freckleton. Have you ever noticed how fear stops us from creating and sharing our best work? Join the Fearless Storyteller as we explore the heart and soul of writing stories, songs, and scripts that sell with the people who write them. Each guest has their own unique hero's journey and insights into the intersections between limiting beliefs and success. What's my story? In 2007, I was divorced, in debt, stuck in a soul-sucking job, desperate to have a meaningful, fulfilling life, but not sure where to begin. I made a simple choice at the time, to start honoring my yes and to start speaking my no. Consequences be damned. After all, how could my life possibly get any worse? I began the long path of becoming a professional songwriter, finding my fearless voice along the way. Now, I'm living my dream life as a husband, father, and professional storyteller. Are you ready to minimize overwhelm and maximize your capacity to do your best work? In April, I'll be offering the Spring Clean for Authors four-week online support group to help you declutter your personal and professional lives. You can show your interest by pre-RSVPing today. Just visit ethanfreckleton.com slash declutter. That's ethanfreckleton.com slash declutter. Link will also be available in the show notes. After a fifth grade assignment captivated his classroom, best-selling author Ryan Scow was hooked on writing. Eventually, he found his way to independent publishing. His first series, Swan, failed to draw urban fantasy readers in. But because of his dedication to studying his writing heroes and analyzing the marketplace, Ryan learned how to captivate readers and carve out a comfortable career writing post-apocalyptic fiction. In 2019, he was an Amazon All-Star Award recipient for his stories. Learn more by listening to today's episode of The Fearless Storyteller. Ryan Scow, welcome to The Fearless Storyteller. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here with you, Ethan. Great, and I'm glad you uh, set the record straight on pronouncing your name ahead of time. I think I, <laughs> I, think I nailed the landing. Yes, you did, 100%. <laughs> Great. And for people who may not know you, Ryan, what would you like to say about yourself? Oh, gosh. I think, um, first and foremost, I'm a storyteller. I mean, that's why this podcast is perfect for me. Um, I, I've always been a storyteller. I've always liked to tell stories. I started writing when I was really young, um, probably fifth grade. Mm. Uh, I had a, uh, I was in, I think, uh, my junior in high, junior in high school. Um, I had a class, uh, it was not a writing class, but it was a class and they, they announced in that class that they were going to be publishing someone for a short story for the school paper. Mm. So I was really excited. I thought, oh my gosh, I could actually maybe, I could actually maybe get in print. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if it's just in the school, that would be kind of cool. So I wrote a story and first never heard anything. And that was my first bout with, uh, the idea of being published. And so from that point in time on, I didn't pursue it a whole lot. But when I got into my very early 20s, 21, 22, mm. I started writing to get published. And it was primarily because I had a course with, well, I've always wanted to write, but I had a course with Nicholas Sparks' father 
mm. um, at uh, CSU, as California State University at Sacramento, where I was taking a, an organizational behavioral and environmental course with um, Nicholas Sparks's father. Mm -hmm. So he started telling me that I had the same personality profile as his son. And he began to tell me Nicholas's successes or starting successes. This is when he had just gotten signed on for the notebook. Mm. So I thought, holy cow, people can actually make a living writing a good one too, if, if they're good. And so that's when I started writing. So I've been writing for probably about 25, 26 years, 27 years, but really didn't find my way into this world until about three years ago. I guess it was uh, November of 2016. Hmm. Um, I started to find that there was an opportunity to come into uh, this world through Amazon's uh, platform for the publishing platform. And that was exciting to me because I got so tired of getting rejected by agents who didn't even look at your, your stuff. So hmm you'd have to go write a whole book before you can even have a conversation with them. And when you have a conversation with them, you have a paragraph to sell them on your entire book. Right. So, <laughs> right. I mean, you, you go in and you spend, you know, six months or a year or 10 years as it were writing a book and going, okay, this is my baby. I want to present it, but all you can show is an eyelash and then just hope people fall in love. And that just, it is, is frustrating. It's frustrating. Mm -hmm. I remember Stephen King saying that he had a box of, rejection letters before he got to, I believe it was Carrie published. And I thought to myself, okay, I know what to expect. There's going to be some rejection, but the, the rejection without even seeing your work, let me know that if you want to get published in, in that world at that level, your chances of getting picked up in the slush pile are very, very slim. Mm -hmm. uh, however, if you know somebody, you, you might have a way in. I didn't know anybody because that's New York. I'm in California. I don't know anybody here. I have a better chance of getting on as an actor than I do as a writer anywhere. Mm. So in, in, in many cases, like most authors do along the way is they, they get frustrated and they, they quit or they try to quit. I tried to quit on a couple of occasions, but writing's in my blood. I can't stop it. It's like, <laughs> it's become like breathing to me. This is what I've always wanted to do. And as much as I've tried to throw in the towel a couple of times, if anything, just to keep my marriage together <laughs> because my <laughs> wife's like, when are you going to get published? Babe, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I'm trying, I promise. And she's been a godsend in terms of wives. She's been patient with me for 20 years. But mm. um, when I finally got to this platform where I looked at it, said, man, I could actually publish my own stuff. I'm in charge of my covers. I can write as much as I want. Um, nobody's going to tell me my content. The only thing that I have to do is make sure that as I'd always believed when I was submitting my work to agents, mm. my work has to stand on its own and mm. if it stand on its own. And if I understand the marketing platform and I understand who my audience is and I know what they want, I felt like I had a good chance to be successful. And so my first run was not successful. <laughs> Wasn't? You weren't an instant no. success after 10 years waiting? No, no. It was an instant success after 27 years of trying. <laughs> but um, no, it's funny. You had a, a guest on, uh, Abby Kanor, who's a very good friend of mine. And mm. we both kind of started at the same time. And her series uh, jumped out of the gate pretty good. And she couldn't understand why my Urban Fantasy series, uh, the Swan series, didn't wasn't taking off 
Mm. And that was going to be my first big lesson in writing, which was you have to know your audience. You have to know what they're looking for. Mm. Um, Abby's got kind of a good instinct of that with, with her marketing background. Um, and you know, if you've ever read any of her work, my God, that woman can write. She is a very, very good writer. Mm. Um, and it was interesting to hear her, her interview with you recently, because there's some things I didn't know about her. Um, mm. but in terms of writing audiences key, um, audience yeah. is key. And so I, I realized that I needed to, to understand the tropes of, the business. In other words, I need to know what people are looking for. So if there's anything I'd say, you know, who I am as a person, I, in one respect, I'm a storyteller. But the other thing is I'm very concerned and, and always concerned about making sure that the people that are reading my books get the very, very best experience. Mm. So I learned the tropes of post-apocalyptic fiction because I realized that's actually a pretty, at the time, it was a pretty fertile category. It was a place where I could go where there was some good writers in there, but there was a really hungry audience. And it hadn't been tackled yet the way that some of the, you know, more, some of the larger genres did, like mystery, for example, or romance, or urban fantasy's got some fantastic writers in there, KF Breen and Lindsay Hall, uh, Shane Silvers. These, these are people who've gone mm. in and done really well in that industry. But post-APOC still was a little bit open. So I thought, okay, I'll pay attention to this. Let me learn the tropes, read a few books, see if I can come in and craft a good story. Yeah. And lo and behold, my first book took off like a rocket. <laughs> so I was working a, a uh, about a 14, 15 hour a day job. It was miserable, but I made really good money. So it was hard to, hard to justify leaving because I'd been in this industry for so long and I was making you know well over six figures uh, here, mm -hmm. how do you leave something like that, you know, at 45 years old, um, you know, with a wife and family to support and then go into this speculative business, right? Well, you better have your stuff together is kind of the, the answer. Unfortunately, I'd had a, a year worth of publishing failure, uh, on a, an amazing story, amazing series. My Swan series is still my favorite best written series. And I mm. tons of compliments on that. But the success I had in there was, was really from all the learning I did in the year prior to publishing The Last War, which was the, the book, The Last War. That's the book that really launched me mm. uh, into the stratosphere in the post-APOC world. So that's the, that's the long answer of, does anybody want to know anything about me? <laughs> <laughs> you stole at least a couple of my questions along the way. That, Man, that was, I'm sorry. That was good. No, no. <laughs> Let's go back and start over, Ethan. We can uh, again. <laughs> oh, all right. Here, bit pause. Bit pause and delete. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah. Yes, I can't so, talk like that again. <laughs> so ahead. a couple couple things stand out. One, you you clearly love writing oh, but yeah. books. Otherwise, you wouldn't have stuck with it through. Uh -huh years of rejections and querying yes um was there any, anything else uh, other creative pursuits you considered doing instead or was it just always clearly i i felt affirmed in college by oh. nicholas sparks father and i'm gonna do this or you know, well you... yeah i wrote uh i wrote a really really good um kind of historical romance it's a story that I absolutely loved. 
um, and I still might publish it. It's called Potter's Field. Hmm. I still might publish it. I think maybe under a different name because I think I go back in and do another treatment knowing what I, after 25 or 26 books that I've written since that one, I might go in and, and do that treatment and market that and see where that goes. But, um, I got, uh, I got frustrated and I, I stopped reading some of the stuff that I felt like I was wanting to get published. And I started reading some other stuff. I, I read, uh, Chuck Palahniuk's fight club. Mm-hmm. And I love Fight Club. That's one of my favorite, favorite movies. And it, quite frankly, it's one of my favorite books, primarily because his writing style is so different. And his attention to words and the way that he phrases things is really quite odd and enchanting. Mm. You get in and you read one of his books and Fight Club's like 200 words or two, excuse me, 200 pages. And I went and I read that in about three hours and I thought, man, I want to read that again. And, you know, I have the movie. I've watched it half a dozen times. And, and I, I simply love it because of the quirkiness of the characters. So the way that he built characters was incredible. And the way that his mind works in these books is like nothing I've ever seen before. So I had two inspirations in, in my writing life. It's going to be uh, Nicholas Sparks because he's the guy that came out of nowhere and, and captured this publishing dream. And so for me, I thought it's, it's possible. This is when I, I really opened up the world of possibility. Mm-hmm. And when I read Chuck Palahniuk, I thought, oh my gosh, this is a guy who can really just grab your eyeballs and yank them to the page and make you stay there because mm-hmm. you don't know what you're going to read next. You could read some crazy off the wall thing that completely blows your mind. And it's one sentence. And for us word nerds, you know, we, we look at that and we go, holy cow, this guy just evoked all kinds of emotion with this one sentence. This guy's mm-hmm. a genius, mm-hmm. right? Now, yeah. to, to, to make a finer point, he got, I think he got lost in, in the words and forgot the story in uh, several of his, other, of his other books, his later books. So I love his early work, but that really kind of influenced me in finding your way of evoking emotion and holding a reader to the page. I mean, my, my foremost thought when I write a story is when there's 18 or 19 or 20 other things that your reader is doing while they're trying to read your, or, or that's going on around your reader as they're trying to read your book, mm-hmm. how do you get them to shut all those other things out and stay in the story? So I look at each page and I approach each page with, okay, what's happening here that makes me want to stay? What's going to happen here that's going to make me want to leave? Mm-hmm. And so in many ways, you can't write so great like Chuck Pollock did his early books because you don't want to finish the book because you don't want your experience to end. Right. Right? You can't right. have these super long books because then people will have, they'll go, oh, I'm 200 pages into it, but you know, I got to go cook dinner and the kids are screaming and I got to pay the bills and my husband's going to be home or my wife's going to be home. And now all of a sudden it's lost. So you really need this big, beautiful dessert that people can devour, you know, inside of three or four hours or five hours because right. people will sit down and read those books. And so I learned with Chuck Palahniuk, the, the beauty of words and how to capture an audience. And uh, I learned of the potential and the possibility with Nicholas Sparks and his success. And then 
in trying to get an agent, um, I happened upon Donald Mass's books. Uh, he's a New York literary agent that writes books on how to write basically. Um, and his first book, how to write the breakout novel is, I believe that's what's called is set for mid list authors. They're trying to get out of a funk and get into really the book that puts them on the map. So if you have any writers out there that are listening, Donald Mass's books are probably the best education you're ever going to get on, on writing. Mm. They because are, they're incredible. They're so detailed. He takes all the elements of story and he breaks them down and says, this is what makes them memorable. And this is where you can get lost. So he teaches everything from emotion to characterization. He helps you really build and flesh out your characters so that you have amazing, rich three dimensional characters. They're not just like the super soldier or the sexy, beautiful girl who gets everything the way she wants or the detective that never runs into any issues. You right. got to take your characters. You got to make them so lovable that people don't want to leave the characters. You have to make them so real, but also slightly bigger than life and flawed. And then you have to put them through hell. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. a lot of people create these characters and they say, man, I love this character. I don't want to, I don't want to do this to this character. And sometimes you got to kill people and it's legal on the written page, <laughs> but it sucks because you've got people that have traveled that journey with you and they go, I love these characters and I'll get emails. People are pissed off because they killed their character. And I say, man, I'm hurting too. I don't want to do this, <laughs> but this is, this is the way that the story goes. And like Abby said, you know, the characters do strange things in the book. I was right. writing um, one of my previous books, the one that I did before, uh, I've got one coming out here in a couple of days, but uh, last month I wrote a book called Dark Days of the Surge. And one of the characters that I expected to be there for a while uh, died. <laughs> he was killed. And I was like, huh, I, I didn't really plan for that or expect it, but you know, that kind of makes sense with the story. I was like, okay, well, I, here we go. <laughs> He's going to die. And sometimes that happens uh, in the midst of story. And you know, sometimes those are galvanizing events mm -hmm. where, where it, again, it draws the character in and it kind of tears apart their emotions. Right. So a writer's job is to keep the reader in the story by evoking all kinds of emotions. Mm. And so in, in that sense, um, this is the stuff that, that brings me joy that I think about is I like telling stories and I have to write. I have to write that to me, writing is uh, akin to breathing. And now that I've been able to write full time for a year and a half, almost two years, um, this is, these are the best years of my life. These mm. are the best years of my life. I'm doing exactly what I want. I make a lot of money doing it. I have fantastic readers that are, you know, I speak with daily They're My readers are the best part of my business. I love these people. I talk to them daily on Facebook. I have a big Facebook fan group and they, they nourish you, you know, they encourage you. They make you want to continue to, to write. They make you feel validated in life and in what you're doing, your pursuits. Right. These, these are the joys of being a writer. Right. And I, I love that you love what you're doing and that you are feeling that support and have that relationship with your readers. Like, how did you, so you must like, now you know what that feels like to have that support right. system in place. Like, how did you 
get by when you weren't getting any feedback on your books? I, I tried to, um, well, early on with Swan, uh, I used an email list. So what I would do is I would, I put together my books. Um, I gave away a free book for an email list and you want to, you want to do that because you want to really be in touch with your writers. I think the people that have the hardest time in writing are the people who write to an audience and they don't know who they are. Mm -hmm. Now I found out who my audience was and I was ridiculously surprised, like falling off my chair, surprised. I couldn't believe who my audience was. And I learned this through Facebook advertising. Mm, can you talk more about that? Yeah, for sure. So yeah. let me, let me kind of wrap what I was saying earlier and then I'll jump right into that. So the, the thing that occurred to me was that if I got in touch with my audience, I could find people that would leave me reviews. They say something like one in a hundred readers leaves a review. Right. Well, I needed my reviews one so that I had, um, you know, some sort of, some sort of social proof because people, when they go look at your book, they go, okay, is it a good cover? And then they read your blurb and say, okay, is this something I want to read? And then they look at other people's experiences and say, well, do they have a good experience? Do they love it? Do they hate it? And then if you get past that gate, a lot of them will go in and they'll read the first 10% of the book, which they can read in um, Amazon. Right. And they'll judge your writing. Well, what I learned from trying to get published by, you know, or, or picked up by agents is that everything you read in the first five pages will tell a person every single thing that they need to get this book. Well, yep. you don't have that kind of time uh, and, and um, push from, from a reader. You have about the first paragraph to page for today's readers. We mm -hmm. live in a fast food society. Everybody wants everything quick. They want to make sure that, oh, if this is what I love, then I will go in and I'll dedicate the five hours to reading it. And if you bother me along the way, if the writing doesn't work along the way and I get pissed off, I'm going to leave you a bad review or I'm just going to quit altogether and you'll never know why. Mm. So in, in some cases, having the great reviews is good social proof, but sometimes having the bad reviews, not that I'm encouraging anybody to leave any, but when you have the bad reviews, it tells you what you did wrong. So in, in that sense, having a, a, um, having a group of people that are willing to give you feedback, honest feedback is critical to knowing what you're doing right and what you could be doing better. Mm. Now, when I got into Facebook advertising, which you asked about a moment ago, you do Facebook advertising because you, your business needs a support system. Anybody that thinks that they can go out there and put a book um, on, on Amazon and go, okay, this is my baby. Everybody look, everybody participate, everybody read. You get on there and you sell your first three or four books and then you're done. That is discouraging. It's heartbreaking. One of the fantastic things about Facebook that's also so terrible in real life is they know everything, hmm. everything, 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 everything about you. They know everything about you, which freaks me out enough to write a post-apocalyptic fiction story about quantum <laughs> computers and data. But <laughs> regardless, it's, it works in a good degree because you find out who your audience is. And my audience, to my unbelievable surprise, was 55 to 60-year-old women and older. Yeah. And here I'm writing this book about the, you know, these books about the destruction of the world, trying to survive people getting killed, you know, drones, just slaughtering people in mass. I'm going, Holy cow, I'm going to offend a lot of people with all this kind of death and chaos. And you know what? I don't, they love it. Mm. This is what they want to read about. They want to read about scenarios that they haven't encountered in real life. And what I found is that 
a lot of them are swept up in the emotions of the story and they think about what would I do if I was in that situation? Mm -hmm. And so now that I kind of knew that I started to build a Facebook audience. Right. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know who was going to show up there. Um, people ask me when I'm starting my Facebook audience, what do I say? Hell, I don't know. My personality is so brash and you know, <laughs> I, I curse like a, a trucker religiously. I have been almost since birth and <laughs> I make, you know, jokes that are completely inappropriate for, for this audience. And I think I can't be who I am on in this group because they're mm -hmm. going to see me and go, man, this freaking kid from California is a whack job. Now that's just my dark sense of humor. So naturally going into it, you're going, how do I connect with my audience, but not turn them off to kind of who I am. And I actually came to find that they like my messed up sense of humor. So now after two years of having this group and, you know, 1250, uh, people, uh, I found my tribe, man. Mm. I, my tribe. I like them. They like me. And we work together in, in many ways to create, uh, better books. And as a result of enjoying what I do and having a, a hungry audience, I've also figured out my next aspect of writing, which is very, very important. Mm. And that's understanding the algorithms of Amazon. Mm. Amazon loves when you put new content out and they have a 30 day window typically that they will push you. Um, the best advertising is the advertising you get for free. And that's with Amazon. Mm -hmm. So for anybody who's going to write full time, you don't necessarily need to write a lot because there's different genres that allow you to write a book every three months or every six months or every year in my genre. I write a lot. Um, mm -hmm. People want a lot. I have people in the group that tell me that they read a book a day. Yeah. And that, that blew me away um, because I thought to myself, I used to read a lot of books and I would read 50 to 100 a year. But a lot of these people, they do what's called the 365 challenge, which is 365 books in 365 days. And I was like, wow, I really didn't know this. After all this time, I had no idea because right. I didn't know how much my readers read. So then I, I started to learn how to write faster and I already wrote pretty quick. I mean, I would write a book in a month and a half when I had, um, you know, my 12 to 15 hour a day job, but doing this full time, it allowed me to write more. And so, um, my last book that I wrote, uh, dark days of the apostasy, which I'm getting feedback from my early readers group as being one of the best that I've written. Uh, I wrote it in eight days, the whole thing. Two hundred sixty-five wow. book or two hundred sixty-five pages. It was on a challenge from uh, Kyla Stone. And Kyla Stone's a post-apocalyptic fiction writer, too. Wonderful woman, fantastic writer, hmm. and she's just as much of a writing beast as I am. And so she was kind of behind. She had some stuff happen in her life that kind of caught her off guard while she was on a writing schedule. So she lost about a week. So she was frustrated and said, man, I don't know how I'm going to find the time. And I said, you know what? I'm going to write with you. So let's make big challenges for ourselves and let's go after them. <laughs> writing, writing community is so important. So hers was to try and wrap up a book. You know, she's got a family and she works part-time job. She's um, a busy woman. And so she was trying to wrap up and finish a book within seven days. So I says, okay, well, this is a Saturday, this is a Saturday or a Friday night. So I said, I'm going to start my book tomorrow. And I'm going to finish by next Sunday. <laughs> she says, you're crazy. I said, yeah, probably a little bit, but I think I can do it. I'm going to do it. 
And I ended up finishing Saturday night, so I finished early. Always pay attention to quality. If you can get a book out a month, you're going to stay within Amazon's algorithms. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to always be behind the line. I mean, I push myself by putting pre-order dates out. So I've got deadlines that I have to hit come hell or high water. And there are days where I'll sit down and I'll write for 16, 17 hours. I don't like to do those days very often. Hmm. But if I'm behind, I got to get the, the words on the page, right? Right. And um, in that sense, I learned to try and stay in Amazon's algorithms. Um, you can't do that or you're going to burn out. So sometimes what you need to do is uh, you need to have a couple of, write a couple of books at once, two, three books. I mean, ideally you'd write two or three books and then you begin to release them about two and a half to three weeks apart. And you'll, you'll find your way into Amazon's groove that way. It's mm -hmm. hard to do, but I've talked to people who've done it in urban fantasy. I've talked to people who've done it in young adult fiction. And I've talked to people who've done it in post-apocalyptic fiction. And it seems like throughout the different genres, um, the people that do that have an incredible amount of success for that series. And then they can go in and write the next series. So this is my fourth series that I've written is the dark days of the after series. I'm ridiculously pleased with it. It's been doing uh, great, but my first series, the last war series has still done uh, incredible. I think in maybe a little over a year, year and a half, that series has made me almost 200 grand. Nice, nice. And so, you know, you're writing, even though you get it done and you look at it and say, oh, my sales are good today. We go back to the brick and mortar store, which is, okay, you had 100 people come in your store, but what's going to make sure that people are still coming in a month from now, six months from now, a year from now, five years from now? And I think that's where quality fiction matters, but that's also mm -hmm. where marketing allows you to do something that you can't do in traditional publishing, which is keep your books on the shelf to the end of freaking time. Mm-hmm right? You can't do that in traditional marketing or traditional publishing. You, you have a hardcover book that stays on the shelves for what, six weeks, maybe yeah. if it's, if it's mid-list mm -hmm. and then six months or eight months later, you have your paper book that comes out and then that's going to be on the shelves and Barnes and Noble with 500 other things. And all you're going to see is a name. There's no advertising. No one's going to come in and say, Hey, look at the wonderful things of this book. Look at all the reviews. You're looking mm -hmm. at a spine, yeah. right? Yeah. And even then, when you don't sell enough, they sell them back to the publisher or they rip the front off of them and they give them to, you know, a charity. And you're Yeah, not, it doesn't make much sense. It doesn't make much sense. So this is what's so beautiful. I love this world. I don't have to kiss some agent's ass. I don't have to go in and, and please a publisher. I don't have to adjust anything. I don't need a year to a year and a half for a publishing schedule to get a book out. I can finish a book today and I can hit publish tomorrow on face or on Amazon and then in, in 72 hours, that book is up for sale and ready to go and I can market. Right. So you want to, yeah, yeah, you want to talk about fast food, everything that gets you to market real quick. So anyway, go ahead. You were going to ask me a question. So clearly you found a rhythm that's working for you and it's based a lot on your observations and your experiences. And it, it strikes me that to do what you're doing at the pace you're doing it, at least for me to relate to it, that there's at least three things that I see that would have to be going on. One is that you're trusting your storytelling process. Yes. And two would be that you're focused, right? Yes. In some way you've found focus and conquered that and you have your health would be the other thing. Yeah. Abby talked about health 
uh, on, yeah. her, on her interview, and she wasn't joking. One of the things that one of the things that I'm super cautious about. I mean, you can get stuck on your chair. She's she's got a standing desk, which is um, is fantastic. You really need that. But we've we've talked about her and I have talked about that at length on many occasion mm. for over the last two three years. You you have to take care of your back um, because you don't realize that you're hunched over a lot writing. Yeah. And so I go to the chiropractor about. Um, I go to the chiropractor about every two weeks, but I also have one of those foam rollers that I can oh, use yeah. to kind of adjust. I, I've learned how to become my own chiropractor to a, a large degree. Foam roller, foam roller is my church at this point. Oh, dude, it's life. <laughs> yeah. Like seriously, yep. no joke. I used to have migraines for like 15 months. Oh. And that was the single decisive factor that got me start over the hump. Ethan, 15 minutes with a migraine is hell. I don't know how you did it for 15 months. Yeah. That's crazy. That's that's hell. Yeah, I had to reconfigure some things, but it started there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so taking care of your back is probably the most important thing you can do. And, of course, your neck, too. I mean, was your, your headway, human headway, is like eight a pounds lot. or something. <laughs> so yeah. you hang that head too far forward, you're going to have problems with your neck, and your neck is going to get sore. So... Mm. I've learned how to do that, but primarily because I write so much and I write so fast, my wrists and fingers will start to kind of hurt. So mm. I, I know at the point in time where I'm done, um, which is usually about 10, 11,000 words. I've gone as many as 15,000 words, which is, you know, somewhere between, I'd say 75 to 90 pages mm. uh, of, of writing in a day. Um, I don't really recommend doing that, but I think for me, I found my groove at about between seven and 9,000 words a day for about an eight to a 10 day burst. So mm. I'm going to do my next book and I've given myself 10 days to do it. I, I do outline um, ahead of time and I create the storyline first. So you can't write that fast without knowing what the story is going to be. The people right. that are pantsers, that write these stories by the seat of their pants. I don't know how they organize things and get from point A to point B quickly it, it when you're you're throwing stuff together on the fly it doesn't make any sense to me there are people that do it those people are geniuses um but i've i found that every time that i've started to do that at about page 125 to 150 mm. i look back and go so where's this going so how, how's this going to end and those are stories i never finished mm. so against my better joy of just jumping in and writing i've learned how to create uh, a, a really good working outline and I write within that outline to write fast. Right. And, and so find, how, how much do you need in that outline to get going? Like you mentioned this eight day book challenge you had. Uh -huh. So obviously you couldn't have spent more than a few hours on that, right? Well, what I've done is I did that first. Okay. So this started before the, the eight days I had, mm. the, I had the, um, the general outline done. So the way that I started is I start with six plot points. Um, and, you know, you've got, to, you've got to work in almost like an orchestra mm -hmm. where you start into the story, you create the atmosphere, you, uh, you know, insert the characters, uh, address the problems and the challenges, and then you have a clear understanding of where that character is going and what they're trying to achieve through the story. So then you, you ratchet everything up, right? You, mm -hmm. you have to build this beautiful orchestra of a story. So now I know that I understand what has to happen with the characters. And so out of those six plot points, I'll create 
subplots and I'll bring in connecting points and then I'll bring in characters and the characters like the story. They have to grow and evolve. If you have a character that doesn't change or grow or evolve mm -hmm. through the story, in my humble opinion, unless you are writing literary fiction, that character is boring and I don't want to read about it. Mm. I want to read about a character that has struggles and that we see how they overcome it because in many ways that mirrors our lives because we all have struggles. There's all things that there's things that all of us struggle with and we don't always know how to fix these problems. And it really sucks trying to live with the problems as, as you experienced with your migraines. You have stuff like that, that transforms mm. your life in a, in a way that is not good. Yeah. And so, there's a lot of people that have these issues and they don't know the framework of how to solve problems. And so by going in with a character and showing him how he can have an impossible problem that he can work and solve his way through, and that it's not easy, that there are challenges, that they get bit, shot, beat up, you know, harassed, broke, almost killed, jailed along the way, mm. shows that there's real truth to these people. Like nobody skates through life very easy. You know, and if they do, you know, God bless them. But most people don't skate through life easy. So they want to have an experience with someone they can relate to. Right. So as I grow the character within the story and there's interactions with sub characters, um, these interactions will move <clears throat> the story and the plot will move the story. And once I get to that place, then I go in and I flesh out the basics. Now, this is where I just do free form writing. I mm. do absolutely. Um, I don't care about sentence structure. Uh, I have the stuff that I write that's um, dialogue. I don't put in quotation marks. It is one long, you know, non-ending paragraph. Okay. Right. So I get there from point to point to point. And at that point in time, now I'm ready to go. So I may have 30 or 35 pages that are written, which is usually to me about 5,000 words is about what I'll have and however that shakes out with number of pages. It's mm. usually just that. Now I go in and this is where I start. So, right there. so you're using that freeform writing to connect the dots between the plot points and the subplots? or Yeah, it, it's basically a 35-page version of what the story is going to be at 300 pages. Mm -hmm. And there, there are times where I need to add um, elements along the way. In this last book, I realized my book is going to be too short and it's not on a large enough scale. This book that I did in eight days it doesn't have the big scale that I need. So mm -hmm. I completely created a new set of characters and a new story arc inside and fit it in at the right place that it needed to be in. And that happens sometimes along the way. You, right. you figure that out. You go, it's not long enough for shoot. I didn't connect this point properly. So you've got to write two or three more scenes. Right. So it helped you kind of debug or yeah. figure out ahead of time. And is that also giving you a chance to kind of connect with your character's voice or find that voice along the way? Yeah. The, the characters and the character's voices um, are, have to be very much different if you're going from um, a single book story. In other words, if you're doing a standalone novels, mm. you're going to have very different characters. One of the really beautiful things about writing a series is that you really get to know the characters over time. And with each book, you look at and go, well, I've had that character for 300 pages on this book and 300 for this one, 300 for this one. So when you've got 900 pages with a character, you have a pretty good idea of who they are, what they're looking for, how they're gonna behave. And the way that I come to distinguish the different characters for me is that mindset begins um, 
as as I finish my my story, like for example, I just finished the second book in the Dark Days of the After series, which is called Dark Days of the Surge. Mm. So when I finish Dark Days of the Surge, I'm already thinking about what issues do these characters have that I'm going to be seeing in book three. What's the overlying problem that we're going to need in three? Where is the story arc going to take us? The over overall story arc, where is that going to take us? And how is that going to move along in story three? So if you take this very large scale story, which post-apocalyptic fiction becomes, and you break it into four or five different sections, it's no different than taking a single book and breaking it into six plot points. You know where you're going. You know how you're going to get there. You know what the challenges are going to be. Well, along the way, too, people fall in love with these characters. And they fall in hate with some of these other characters. Mm. And you have to know kind of the direction that they're going individually. And if you're, you've got too large of an audience, or too, excuse me, too large of a, of a cast, you can kind of get lost to some degree. Mm-hmm. But if you keep it at that right size, again, everything is finding that sweet spot in writing. If you, if you keep your character cast at a size that you know that you can handle and distinguish and people aren't going to get lost, then you can build them individually. And I, I hate to say this, but well, it, it's funny. One of my, someone had asked if I have multiple personality disorder. And the reason they did that, they asked that is because it's, each character has to feel different. Right. right? And a lot yeah. of writers can't do that. A lot of writers write the same character over and over and over, and they just give them a different name or a different sex. Mm. And that really is a challenge. Like when I look back, I've created well over 100 characters. And you can't really, you, your multiple personality disorder is not really a disorder in writing. If you don't suffer it individually, it's a gift if you're able to create it on the page. <laughs> and so this is where Donald Mass made such a huge difference. This guy makes you drill down and understand your characters at a core level. Mm. And so that became instinctual for me about 12 books ago, 13 books ago, 14 mm. books ago, right? And from there, you have to create the individual elements. And I use humor a lot. Most people don't use humor in post-apocalyptic fiction, but I use humor because A, it keeps things light. B, it keeps people engaged. And if I can get people laughing about a story that's the worst elements of life, which is society falling apart and people being pitched into this chaos and 90% of the world population dead, Mm -hmm. if I can get people laughing there, then I keep people from going into a state of depression, you know, or overwhelming them in fear. And so humor, sense of humor uh, helps bring characters to the forefront, but also the way people internalize things, the fears Mm. they have, the concerns they have, the romance that they want that they don't have, or the romance that's starting. When you take these different aspects of life and you assign them to different characters and you you really infuse them um, into who you are, you start to look at all the different elements of your life that you go, man, that would be magical if I had that, or that would be badass if I had that, or that would be terrifying if I had that. And so you, in many ways, you break apart your whole personality and tap mm-hmm. into different elements, and then you bring those into your character. Mm-hmm. And this is where you know having experience in life uh, really, truly helps you as a writer. Having it does help to get older. It's one plus. Yeah. Now. Yeah, that's one benefit of getting older. <laughs> you know stuff. <laughs> You've been through stuff. So, yeah. yeah, for sure. I'm a big fan of been uh, using the emotional wound thesaurus. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've heard of that or seen that. I haven't, but I'm going to write that down, and you need to link that to me because that's awesome. <laughs> sure, yeah, I'll, I'll link that in the notes along with uh, your 
Donald Mass recommendation. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's great. It's just like 250 plus pages of uh, emotional wounds in different categories and how that tends to play out in positive and negative ways. That's awesome. Common ways with people. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Personality traits. It's um, use that in a co-write co-written series to cast all of our characters. And that's how we created contrast was giving each one their own emotional wound. Oh, I like that. I, I think that that's, that's important. I mean, all of us to some degree have our own emotional wounds. And again, if you don't have any, if you're one of those people, um, I don't want to know you <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. God bless you. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it's funny. One of my, um, in one of the books, one of the main characters asked the woman, you know, tell me about yourself and don't start by telling me how wounded you are mm. because mm. I don't want to know you if you're defined by your, um, you know, all, all the sadness or all the bad things that happened to your life. But when you, when you look at life, that's kind of, and that was one of my early books, but that's kind of a reality, which is that we do define ourselves. We do define ourselves by our youth. Right. And then we define ourselves by the struggles that we're going through and the struggles that we're going through generally tend to either create an emotional wound or come from an emotional wound. Hmm. And so they become the defining characteristics. So there's a lot of wisdom in, in what you say and to have that resource. Uh, that's, that's pretty amazing. I just yeah. think of all the messed up people I, I've, you know, met. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> those ten, those tend to mount, mount up and then, <laughs> then we're wondering, well, why do they act that way? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So um, when I was young and, uh, and, you know, kind of more naive to life, I was, I think 19 years old and I looked at Nicholas Sparks and I thought I can't write a book because I haven't had the tragedy this guy's had. Uh, I mean, his mom, his mom died early. He lost his sister to, I believe, cancer, some sort of cancer. Um, he is, his uh, father ended up dying, you know, falling off. Uh, his, his mom fell off a, a horse, I think, and hit, a rock, hit her head on a rock, and it killed her. His dad mm. died in a car accident. His sister died. All he had left with his, was his brother. And then, you know, he marries his wife, and there's, the notebook is this beautiful story of his wife's parents and kind of rediscovering each other through, Alzheimer's and it was a very touching, very sad, and very tragic story that was wrapped in this amazing love story. Mm. Right. And I think to mm -hmm. myself, I, my, all my parents, my parents are alive. My, I've got all my four, my sisters are alive and doing well. We're close. I have good relationships. I haven't had anything bad happen to me in life. How am I going to have any kind of authenticity in a story? If my life has been pretty good, mm. I'm young, I haven't met, you know, anybody that's in the adult, adult world that has, uh, looked at 50 years of marriage and is contemplating what happens at the end. How do you look at your spouse? What if your spouse has Alzheimer's and forgets you and looks at you like they don't know you? How would you handle that? I, I've got 27 years of marriage. That would tear me in half. Mm. Now, now mm. I do. Back then I didn't, but now, yeah. now I do. I have 27 years of marriage and you, your life becomes entwined with this other person's life. Yeah. So life experience when you're older makes a difference. I would say if you're a writer, most of us are introverts. I'm, I'm an extrovert that can live a life of, as an introvert. So I can mm -hmm. do it either way. I'm a chameleon in that regard. Meet as many people as you can meet, you know, don't get yourself arrested, but don't be afraid to be into different situations too, <laughs> because this experience will come out 
in your writing. And if you've got good life experience, if you can force yourself to go out into the world and meet some interesting characters, um, this will give you so, so much stuff to write with that it's amazing. And you'll find yeah. that your characters do begin to take on different shapes and forms. You don't know the crazy, silly, stupid, insane things that go on in people's heads. But when you learn how to draw that other people through conversation, you, you really start to learn how um, wide the mind is mm. and how vast the thinking is and how everybody to some degree or another puts on a mask of normalcy, but is really kind of effed up inside a little bit. Mm. So you're not just a writing hermit as you crank out these books here, you're, you're getting out there. I, well, I've, I've been out in the, I've been out in the public for so long, you know, that I, I got tired of being in front. I got tired in front of being people. I was a sales manager. So I would sit down mm. and negotiate deals for probably, I would probably sit down and negotiate maybe two to 250 deals a month. Mm -hmm. um, and I train salespeople on every aspect of things. I train people on how to make phone calls, how to sell, uh, how to connect with their customers. <clears throat> I mean, I spent the better part of my life in retail. So if I never have to work retail again in this life or the next, it'll be too soon. <laughs> but but it, it gave me a chance to be in front of people and to watch people's thought process take place and to begin to understand that if you ever want to be good at selling anything, you can't sell something in good conscience to someone who doesn't want to buy it. You can't make them do something that, you, that they don't want to do but people have a hard time making decisions. And so you have to show them what they want and allow them to feel like they can make that decision on their own. Because when people make a decision, they feel better. If mm -hmm. they have to sit in that state of indecisive um, lack of action, they're frustrated and it's frustrating for everybody. And so your job is to kind of help them get, get through that. So I had to really start to understand the motivations of people. The first thing I asked you when I got on the phone with you is who's your audience, right? Mm -hmm. Cause yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to talk to an audience of, you know, bartenders who have no interest in, in writing about post-apocalyptic fiction because then I'm not the right match for your audience. Right. Well, the same thing too, when I'm writing to my audience, I want to know what are they thinking? What are they hoping? What do they expect? And it's not uncommon for me to say, what do you want to see in the next series of books? What do you love about this? What do you hate about this? What are other writers getting wrong? What am I getting wrong? Mm. Because what, what did I tell you earlier? I want to make sure that my readers have a fantastic experience. I yeah. want them to have their faces planted in that book from page one to the end. Right. So I did want to ask yeah. on that front, like how you deal with reader feedback, especially when it's harsh. Um, I don't get it too much. It's, this is a really... This is a very strange world we're, we're living in right now. I'm not sure exactly. Are you, are you in the United States? Yeah. Okay. So you know the political craziness, chaos, and stupidity that's going on in, yeah. our, in our world right now. Sure. Everybody gets offended at everything, and it is so frustrating. I've had conversations with other writers. Um, in my series, I have the uh, my antagonist is the Chai Coms, and in this is the Dark Days of the After series. And Chai Coms are the communist Chinese government. Mm. Most people are aware that have any idea of what what communist China looks like that it's pretty hellish, mm. and the communist Chinese government does not seem to care 
about the masses of their people, things like the environment, people's state of mind, if people are happy or not. We have indexes here in America to say, are you happy with your life? Right. right? They don't give a, a hoot about that over there, I don't think. You know, when you have a government that has mobile execution vans, I don't think that they're trying to achieve the highest <laughs> measure of happiness for their people. So that's not on the scorecard. That, that's not on the scorecard. No, it's it's their scorecard is do you get to live or should we take you out and back and, and incinerate you? That's kind of unfortunately what what to some degree it is. You can watch it happening in Hong Kong, mm. uh, you know, two, three months ago. You want to know what, uh, you know, chaos looks like. Well, watch China march their their inventory or their their military, a million people strong into Hong Kong and take over this place by force. Mm. So the Chai Coms to me are really bad people. But some people don't realize that saying that a Chinese communist government is not the same as saying the Chinese people. So the only thing that I ever run into, and I've only run into this once or twice, is someone saying, oh, it seems a little racist that he doesn't like Chinese people. Mm. Well, actually, I live around several Chinese people, and I like them very much. I don't care what your race or your color, your ethnicity, or your really religion is. I care about who are you are as a person, and are you a good person or not. Right. That's how I measure it. So it sucks when some idiot comes on and says, well, it seems a little racist. When you deal with that kind of stupidity, yeah, um, it's not even stupidity. It's short-sightedness fueled by an insane um, word track that everything that you don't agree with is racist. That's the kind of crap that really ruffles my feathers. Mm. Beyond that, I love the feedback. And sometimes the negative feedback is, look, I had a character that was too emotional in a series that is, you know, that was plot oriented. And so I went back in and kind of retooled her a little bit. I had someone that said in my Swan series that there's too much teenage angst. So I said, okay, well, let me ask my audience if they think that that's the case. And some people said, yeah, that kind of is the case. So this is again, mm. the, the beauty of writing for myself on Amazon is I can go back in and I can rewrite the story or I can adjust or I can fine tune it and create a better story. So even now I go back through my books um, in between series and I do spelling and grammar checks. I look at the content and I try and update it to some degree with what I learned because like my last ser war series, I will plan, I will market this thing until I'm dead. Mm. If there's, if there's someone that likes post-apocalyptic fiction, they're going to find this series at some point in time and they're going to read it through. And I feel like if I can go back and continue to make it better and better then that person who experiences it for the first time after it's been out for five or six or 10 years mm. is going to go, Oh my gosh, that's a fantastic story. And now mm. I have another reader. Yeah. And, and so what's a couple questions like, so mm -hmm. what's next and what are you still struggling with or working to overcome? Um, a lot and a lot are the two answers. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I just signed up to buy a very expensive house, which in California doesn't mean much because every house in California is very expensive. Right. Um, but I, I, uh, I've actually had enough success that I can um, buy my dream home. So mm. uh, I just signed up for that. So th the shorter answer is what's next is a lot of books because <laughs> I got to pay for this house. But um, there's, there's the joy of it. I could have bought this house on my previous, with my previous um, job. But mm. I was telling my wife, I would have hated every single day having to be married to that, that job yes. to pay for this house. And I yeah. would have ended up presenting the house. So my goal for writing was always to 
buy, buy myself a new car, uh, which I did last uh, this last year, and buy myself a new house. And, and more than anything, because I want to take care of my wife. I want my wife happy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, the goal that I set before I even knew I was buying the house is 12 books this year. Mm-hmm. 12 books this year means basically two series um, and two box sets. So the, the box set is basically the entire series. There's two different audiences. You have your whale readers, which are your readers that will just sit down and they'll crank out 2000 pages in a week, you mm-hmm. know, a week and a half. And so they'll read through all seven or all five of, of my books in that short time. And they don't want to read a series until it's done. So that's why I put my box sets together is because it, it allows people who read series to <clears throat> do so on a, a bit of a budget. Mm-hmm. Where, where they wouldn't normally go through and read the individual books at uh, the full price point. Mm. Um, so that's kind of my setup is two more series. I'm going to uh, I'm going to Vegas in November, so I want to have a new series underway when I go before the post-apocalyptic you know dystopian um, group. I want to have a series well underway. So I will wrap up my Dark Days of the After series with five books. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do probably a rapid release of the next series where I'll sit down and I'll do a book every probably two weeks and do five in that series. So that's what's on the horizon for me here. I still keep toying with going in and doing an urban fantasy series because I do like mm-hmm. um, I do like the freedom of storytelling. In other words, you can go multi-universe, you can... Uh, you know, do it on this world. You can write the story on another world. You can do it in a world where, you know, zombies and dragons and werewolves and vampires exist and it's the norm. Mm. Um, you can have psychics, you can have shapeshifters. You don't get that when you're grounded in the real world or the supposedly the real world with an EMP type event. There's only so much you can do within that world that you begin to rely on the characters and rely on the situations. But if I'm thinking long-term, um, you know, 15, 20, 30 years, and quite frankly, I like Robert Ludlum's idea who wrote the born identity, which is you just write until you're dead. That, to <laughs> me is my dream. <laughs> so, you know, the man wrote until his dying day. Yeah. And um, I, I, I envy him for that. He's been a, a great model for me, something to, to strive towards. So, with that in mind, um, I, I'm thinking of maybe putting together a pen name and going into urban fantasy again. And with everything that I've learned from my first series, uh, going in and doing it again. Because when you look at your life as a writer, a writer writes about characters and situations and how they deal with those situations. Mm-hmm. So I can write a romance as well as I can write horror fiction, as well as I can write post-apoc or erotica or urban fantasy it doesn't matter. Story is story. You need mm-hmm. to have compelling characters that go through situations that the readers like to read about with the prescribed uh, ending. Mm. And if you know what your readers want and you love writing for the very sake of storytelling, this field that we're in is unending. Mm. You can be a superstar in post-apoc for the next five years and then jump into urban fantasy and be a superstar for there in the next five years and then go into cozy mystery or romance, or horror, you know, or thriller, action, adventure. As long right. as you've got stories going on in your head, and, and you're okay writing, this is an amazing life. Mm. Mm. So it sounds like there's a lot of 
joy in the process and you're, you're prioritizing that yeah i've yeah. been trying to get here for a long time man <laughs> so yeah now yeah I'm here i i feel like you know a pig in a pile of mud i'm happy mm. i'm happy that's awesome that's yeah. fantastic and so for people who want to know more about you uh in my audience how can they find you uh if you want to kind of take a look at my series. You can go into Ryan Scow. That's S-C-H-O-W. You can go to ryanscow.com, which is my website. It just has basically all my books, a little bit about me in there. Um, or you can go on to Amazon and just go to Ryan Scow, The Last War. Um, there's a couple of books titled The Last War. One of them's, I think, Space, space Fantasy or uh, Space Opera. Mm. But this, this one's post-apocalyptic fiction, so you'll know. Yep, we lost you during the Dark Days. That's oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, so Dark Days of the After series is the current one that I'm on. And uh, either way, you'll be able to find me. The best way probably is to go into ryanscout.com and then you can click learn more on any mm. book icons and that'll take you to Amazon. And then you can just click my highlighted name under right. the book title or the, the um, cover image and that'll take you to my full catalog on Amazon. Cool. And if there was a writer who was interested in something you said about kind of the shop talk, um, do you feel like outreach about that? Or you just say, wait until we chat in a conference setting? Um, for other writers, like yeah. aspiring writers? Yeah. Uh, I do. This is what I found. I found that... Um, I've had several writers contact me and I've become good, good friends with some of them. Hmm. I think that there is a tremendous amount of baseline that you need to know as a writer hmm. before you get in touch with someone who's uh, well underway. Um, the reason being is that you can sometimes not get the answers that you want and you right. get turned off by the writer. Right. You know, a lot of times the writer has gone through these basics and I realized this early on things that I take for granted, mm. like the basics of story and mm. outlining and, and writing at this pace. Um, this is where they need to start out. And that's why I wanted your audience of people who are aspiring writers to really get in and read Donald Mass's books. Mm. I, I'm not, I don't get paid anything. I don't have a relationship with Donald. I've never met him or talked to him. I just want to give your writers, the, your aspiring writers, the best quality education that I possibly can mm. for the shortest amount of, you know, stretch of income. Right. Um, if, if you are an aspiring writer that does want to reach out, of course, I'm, I'm on Facebook. Um, but when we get into this field and when your writers get into this full time, you're a writer, you're a marketer, you're an editor, you're a cover designer, you do a lot of things. Like, I don't always realize how many hours I work during the day, but there are days where I'll put in 16 hours. And mm. I don't think about it because I love what I'm doing. It doesn't feel like work to me. Mm. So when someone reaches out and says, hey, how do I get published? Um, that's, a, that's a tough conversation for me to have. Nor was, she's like my swim buddy in all of, you know, in all of fiction. Mm. Um, her and I came onto the scene close to the same time. She's helped change my life. Mm. In writing and publishing. She's the one that helped me to, to get to that place that I'm at right now. I, I will never forget that she's done that for me. 
I also have done that for someone now. So it's nice to be on the giving end and the receiving end. Mm-hmm. And there are people that I will help too. But as the, with the things that, that you need to do, Abby told me, follow this precisely. Mm. If you follow this precisely, it will work. If you don't, it won't work. Mm. So I've helped two or three people to try and do this. And they don't do exactly what it is that I told them to do because it's like a combination lock when you're working with Amazon's algorithms. If you don't do this, 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 and this, you won't be successful in this venture. Mm. And this is a big, this is a big venture. This is how you get someone to go from a $5,000 a month to a $25,000 a month. Mm. So that there's three people that I I sent in to do this and they got frustrated because it didn't work. And then I find out they didn't do exactly what I told them to do. And which is exactly what I was told to do. And so I had another person, Kyla stone that I helped her get to that place. And her life has changed as a result of it. And that's my gratitude, Mm. Abby. And I told Kyla, I did this for you. You need to do this for somebody else. So in terms of giving back, there's only so much that we can do. We always, us writers like myself, are always trying to take on uh, more than I can to help you because I love people. So if you find you're at a place where maybe you need a little bit of advice or something, by all means, contact me on Facebook. I'm, I'm happy to have that conversation. Great. But if you're just starting out, um, grab Donald Masses. Um, Chris Fox is a great resource on Facebook, or excuse mm-hmm. me, on Amazon. Yep. Uh, Chris Fox as a writer is fantastic. He will uh, be next week. Well, for people listening to this, it will be the previous week's guest, in fact. Oh yeah. I love Chris Fox. That guy changed my life too. He doesn't even know it. I tell him he's probably like, well, I change all kinds of people's lives. I don't know who you are. <laughs> no, that's, that's not him. He's a very nice guy. Yeah, he is. Um, but Chris Fox changed my life because I learned to write to market through him. Yeah. yeah. He's an incredible resource and, and the value of what he teaches and the fact that he does this so selflessly uh, every single week is amazing. So yeah, Chris Fox is an incredible resource. Amazon ads, Deb Zeb is a, uh, she writes, you know, help my Facebook ads suck. Mm. Um, that's a different writer. I think that's a different writer. That's Mal Cooper. Yeah. Yeah. She teaches you Amazon ads. So if you learn Amazon ads and you learn Facebook ads and you learn to write to market and how to write fast with Chris Fox and you learn how to write well with, um, uh, with Donald Mass, that would be my prescription for anybody that would come and say, Hey, I'm a, a young writer trying to get started. If you follow those and you've gone through those and you're at a place where you're now publishing and just trying to fine tune, mm. that's the perfect time to contact me. Yeah. If you're one of those people that contacts me anyway, I'll talk to you because I like people. I love yeah. writing. I have this writers. I have this visual that's helped me through different phases of different careers, which is it works best if you're learning from somebody just two steps ahead of you. Yes. Yes. Right, because the, it's the context of where you were and where you need to go next and be helping people similarly who are two steps behind you. Yeah, because you're working from the same frame of knowledge. Right. I, I think that for young writers that are looking for a support network, um, self-publishing formula or the SPF um, mm-hmm. group on Facebook is fantastic. And same thing with 20 books to 50K. Those are public forums that you can get in and ask questions that people like me will just randomly pop in every so often and answer five or six or seven questions. All kinds of resources. Mark Dawson and James Mm. Blatch host this. 
that changed my life. I mean, you want to talk about someone being able to give you the, the basics. SPF 101 course, when you can take it, is mm. fantastic. Mm -hmm. That is your base education for putting yourself out there and marketing and, and becoming um, a full-time writer. And then the next uh, evolution that you're you're going to go to is the Facebook ads. Right, the ads, so for, ads authors. for authors. Yep. Right, I took that and that changed my life. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got an interview with them. Uh, James Blatch came out to California and we sat down for an hour. Him and John, who's the cameraman, are the nicest people ever. Cool. Uh, and Mark Dawson's fantastic. He's a he's a, a they say a prince and a scholar. <laughs> he's a prince and a scholar. He's a hell of a nice guy. But these guys put together something that has been helping people like me in droves to become successful and make this full time. Mm. So I would recommend that too. If I can give a base level recommendation, just these last seven minutes that I've had with you, eight minutes. Yeah. With you, if you follow these things and you learn to write well and market well, mm -hmm. these people, these other people give you the fantastic resources and you can do this full time. Yeah. I won't lie. It takes work. And it takes dedication but if you love what you're doing it's not hard you yeah to do it yeah it's awesome ryan it's been a pleasure having you on the show it's been my pleasure thank you very much for inviting me i'm happy to happy to spend time with you i hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the fearless storyteller as a reminder any and all links can be found in the show notes and if you're enjoying this podcast will you please consider leaving a review by doing so, you'll be helping new listeners discover the Fearless Storyteller podcast.